Well, let me start this morning by telling you about one of my favorite characters in the Bible. He appears only briefly in Scripture, but he does get several scenes in Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. His name is Simon of Cyrene. So we meet him on the day of Jesus' crucifixion. After Jesus had been flogged and mocked by the Roman soldiers, he's led away to be crucified. Jesus was likely too weakened and bloodied to carry his cross. And to be sure, the cross beams alone on the cross were pretty hefty. They could weigh up to 80 pounds. So the soldiers conscripted some help. Matthew writes that as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. We actually learn other details about Simon of Cyrene from Mark and Luke. We learn that Simon was coming in from the country, perhaps arriving uh, for Passover. We learn that he had his two sons with him, not a little girl. He had two sons named Alexander and Rufus. Regardless, just, just imagine for a second being Simon. You're just going about your day with your family. You're, you're watching a Roman execution parade before you, which sadly was not an uncommon experience. Suddenly you are being pulled from the crowd, separated from your children, and forced to carry the crossbeam of a man you've never met. Scripture gives us no more specifics about Simon, but actually legends grew. The legend grew that Simon had some great transformative experience while carrying the cross of Christ and became a convert. Even his children converted, goes the legend. Being from Cyrene in northern Africa, Simon was thought to be a black man, demonstrating Jesus' multi-ethnic ministry. He was even portrayed by Sidney Poitier in the 1965 version of Christ's Life, the greatest story ever told. But the reason I like Simon so much as a character is because we know so little about him, but his story intersects with Christ's in a really consequential way. Simon the bystander, Simon of Cyrene, had the honor of helping Jesus in a way that no other human being ever did because he was just standing there at this particular moment, at this particular space. I actually thought of Simon this week as I was thinking about our topic for the morning. We've got three more weeks in our current series, uh, which is called The One Another. So the series is all about the one another verses in Scripture. As we've talked about, to be a follower of Christ, it doesn't just mean to uh, be saved from sin and death by Jesus. It does mean that, but it also means to be called into a new family, to be called into a new community. And this is what churches are. Churches are new families. Churches are new communities. Doing life together as a family, though, is difficult. God knows this. So he gives us lots of instruction in Scripture on on how to do it. And in general, when it comes to like doing life together as a church family, the Bible's instruction is pretty simple. The Bible's instruction is blank one another. And that blank is filled in with all kinds of verbal commands. Love one another, serve one another, honor one another, submit to one another. And the Bible also tells us to carry one another's burdens. Carry one another's crosses. Life gives us too much to carry on our own. We need other people to help us. Even Jesus did. Even Jesus needed Simon. Even Jesus needed help with his burden. This command appears in the book of Galatians. As Paul writes in chapter 6, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves. Or you also may be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. 
carry one another's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, presumably, the law of Christ is uh, the law of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. And how do we do that? Well, by carrying one another's burdens. Now, I will tell you up front, I do not like this command. Uh, I don't like being expected to carry other people's burdens, and I don't like anybody else carrying mine. I am an independent, self-made man. I possess the spirit of self-reliance. I possess the spirit of self-reliance because my mother and father were industrious and hardworking. Also, I'm an American from the conservative Midwest, and we are trained to eschew assistance from others, let alone the government. And also, I am at the top of the food chain. I'm a living example of privilege, tall, white, middle-class, educated male, with hair. (laughs) Why should I need help from anybody else? It's just unseemly. (laughs) Not everyone is like me. Uh, My wife, for example, is not. My wife is dependent and needy. (laughs) Uh, Michelle and I get into this little argument all the time. She'll say, why don't you ask for help? I'll say, why do you mind your own business? (laughs) Uh, Michelle believes that God gives us friends and people to help us. I believe that, but I also believe that God helps those who help themselves, even though that doesn't appear anywhere in scripture. <laughs> uh, right now, Michelle and I are actually fighting over our children and whose values are going to win out in their lives. For example, our, our daughter needed a, ro- a ride home from play practice uh, last week. Uh, we had to be somewhere else, so we couldn't really help. I, offer, I actually offered to be late to our commitment so that I could pick up our daughter from play practice. I mean, she is, you know, our daughter. Uh, Michelle suggested that Miranda ask a friend to take her home. So Miranda uh, found a a ride from a friend to take her home. Uh, That night, though, with Miranda at play practice, we, Michelle and I, were heading to our social engagement. We get a phone call from Miranda. Her ride home has, how shall we say, flaked. (laughs) And she needs one of us to pick her up. I looked at Michelle and I said, we would have been able to plan for this better had we not relied on the help of others. Now, I'm exaggerating about how much of a jerk I am, and, and Michelle is not nearly as needy as I'm describing her. In fact, if you know my wife at all, you know the description of her is, is dependent and needy is frankly comical. <clears throat> but I, I don't like relying on other people. And for good reason. Self-reliance is important. Even the Bible says this. In fact, here's something that's always been really interesting to me about this idea of carrying each other's burdens in the book of Galatians. So Paul writes in Galatians, he says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So a lot of people just stop there. Carry one of those burdens. Yeah, that's the sermon. They stop there. But Paul actually goes on in the same passage. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else For each one should carry their own load. Carry one of those burdens and carry your own load. Take pride in yourself, for each one should carry their own load. So so Paul seems to be saying two contradictory things. Help each other with your problems and take care of things on your own. How do we reconcile these seemingly opposing ideas of mutual support and determined self-sacrifice or self-reliance? Well, I actually think this is fairly simple. A a lot of times the Bible actually says opposing things. And it's up to us to decide which applies when. 
In the book of Proverbs, for example, let me give you an example. The book of Proverbs, the author writes, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Next proverb. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Uh, <laughs> so, do, do I answer a fool in his folly or not? Well, it depends. Sometimes you should, sometimes you shouldn't. This is the author of Proverbs' point. This takes wisdom. Same thing with self-reliance. Should you carry your own burdens or should you share them? Depends on the situation. Sometimes there are burdens that we cannot carry on our own, and we need to realize that. Years ago, for example, I was uh, refinishing the floors in my house. I sanded them down. I stained them. Got them all shiny and polished, perfect. I mean, it looked good, if I do say so myself. It looked, it looked like a dance studio in my house. Uh, then I needed to move my furniture back in, though. The furniture had been, like, jenga'd in my kitchen, like, stacked on top of each other. And uh, it was pretty complicated to get the furniture back in, and I was a little bit in a rush, and I knew, you know, I can, thought I could ask for help, or, or I can do this myself. So I tried to maneuver my couch through the door to the living room, and I ended up gashing my floor, my newly finished floor, in the middle of the room. So in the middle of my new polished floor, is a big scratch, just forever like taunting me and my, reminding me of my, my arrogant self-sufficiency. I'd be sitting, watching a movie, and look down at the scratch. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm such an arrogant jerk. I think this is the point. My tendency is to overvalue self-reliance. It gets me into trouble. I need to learn what Paul is saying about carrying each other's burdens. Other people have the opposite tendency. Other people overvalue mutual dependence. They're just a little too reliant on others, and they need to learn to take care of themselves. I mean, we all know people like this, right? In fact, if we're honest, we might be them. When I was living in Texas, uh, I had a friend uh, who refused to drive, not because of doctor's orders or anything. He just refused to drive, didn't have a car, didn't get a license. We, he would just get rides from friends. We all kind of like whispered about him behind his back because, you know, that's what you do. <laughs> but while taking him to the grocery store one night, I just kind of asked him, I'm like, why don't you learn how to drive? And he said, why would I? You guys take me everywhere I need to go. <laughs> By the way, the grocery store is right up there on the right. Some of us need to learn dependence on others. Some of us need to learn self-reliance. Having said that, this is not the self-reliant sermon series. This is the one another sermon series. If you need to learn self-reliance, you're going to have to wait for the next sermon series. It's going to be called Do-It-Yourself Christianity, which we'll never do because there's no such thing. Now, this sermon series is about living together as a church family. And in order to live together as a church family, we got to carry each other's burdens. Sure, there are times we need to carry our own load, but that's not what this series is about. This is about carrying each other's, because even Jesus in his great strength could not carry his own cross. He needed help. We do too. And that's the very important fact lying behind this command. Life sometimes presents us with challenges that no matter how self-reliant we are, we cannot handle on our own. Jesus couldn't carry his cross. I couldn't carry my couch. 
Life gives us couches. But this is why we need to be part of a church family. Life gives us couches. God gives us Simons. So what does this look like on a practical level, though? Paul's command to carry each other's burdens. What does that mean? Well, the Greek word here means burden, load, weight. It means weight. And what I want to do with the rest of my time is look for a minute and some of the heavy loads, some of the burdens, some of the weights, some of the crosses we are forced to carry in life and how we can help other people carry them. I have four burdens with you that I want to consider. These burdens are brought to you by the letter S this morning. We are to carry one another's burdens of sin. We are to carry one another's burdens of sickness. We are to carry one another's burdens of suffering. And we are to carry one another's burdens of service. So you want to remember these points? Just remember the first letter, spells out the word. Maybe that will help you. First, carry one of those burdens of sin. Uh, so this is the immediate context of Paul's teaching. As he has written, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So, so Paul's talking here about the burden of sin. We are, we are all sinners. We're on the same page there? We're all sinners. We get stuck in sin. When we do, we've got to help each other out of it. This is why Paul says God gives us each other. I think we find a very good example of burden carrying in the recovery movement. So if you're familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or Workaholics Anonymous or, or, or Sex Addicts Anonymous or even Celebrate Recovery, which is actually a recovery, Christian recovery program that we're starting here at Rooftop later this year. These are programs which help people deal with addictions of all kinds. Drug, alcohol, eating, pornography, spending, shopping, work. And part of the program involves finding what's called a Sponsor. So you know what a sponsor is. A sponsor is someone who has been through the program. I mean, if you're really serious about recovery, you'll find a sponsor who you can talk to for advice and talk you through temptation. You call your sponsor uh, to give you wisdom on how to cope and keep fighting. Your sponsor lets you know that recovery is possible because your sponsor has been through it before and they are modeling it for you. In fact, academic studies have been conducted on the effectiveness of sponsors, and people with sponsors are anywhere from 33, I know you can't see this tiny little uh, infographic, but 33, they are 33 to 50% more likely to stay clean after treatment compared to those without a sponsor. 33 to 50% more likely to stay clean after treatment compared to those without someone to help them. In so many ways, sin, it's like this. It's like an addiction. We can't stop. Hatred, impatience, anger, lust, overeating, laziness. I mean, have you ever just tried to stop sinning on your own? Today, I'm going to stop that. Does that work for you? No. Why not? It's not how we were designed. 
We were designed to live in relationship with sponsors. It might work with a sponsor, with a friend, because this is how God designed us, helping each other, as Ecclesiastes says. Two are better than one. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity, pity on anyone who falls and has no one help them up. In my own battle with lust, I've had many sponsors in my life, and now I can sponsor many others. I actually enjoy the chance to help people where people have helped me. I feel like I can. I feel like I should. As the book of Hebrews says about Jesus, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So those of us who are just a little bit further in our battles, even just a little bit, can help those who need it. So question, if you're, if you're a sinner, and that if there's completely unnecessary, <laughs> if you're a sinner, you're a sinner, who's your sponsor? Who, who would you call? Who do you call? If nobody's face is coming to your mind right now, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. The chances of you getting well are statistically lower. Who's your sponsor? Who's your friend? Who do you call to help you carry that burden of sin? We should carry each other's burdens of sin. Secondly, we should carry one another's burdens of sickness. So there's this very famous scene in the Gospel of Mark about a paralyzed man. Maybe you know the story. So there's a, a paralyzed guy uh, who wants to go see Jesus uh, because Jesus was a, a, a healer. And he has his friends carry him uh, to go see Jesus. Now they get to see Jesus and Jesus is teaching in this house and the house is too um, crowded. So they can't get him to Jesus. What do they do? Crawl up to the top of the house, tear a hole in the roof, and they lower him down in front of Jesus. And, and Jesus is so impressed by the friend's faith that he not only heals the man, but he actually forgives him of his sins. The story reminds me a lot of a book uh, that, that we read called We, we Carry Kevin. Uh, the story is of a man named Kevin who was actually born with uh, spinal muscular atrophy. Uh, he didn't let it stop him, though. Kevin didn't. He, he went to college. He got a degree in counseling from John Wesley University. After college, though, Kevin asked his, his college buddies if, if they would help him hike through Europe. Not go to Europe. Hike through Europe. His college friend said, let's make it happen. So they actually modified this children's backpack, and they hiked with their friend Kevin through Europe. Then... They decided to go to China. When they carried Kevin across China. Now they've started a nonprofit to help fight for disability rights and greater accessibility. In the Herndon household, we like both these stories the story of paralytic and the story of Kevin. We thought of them often as we were caring for our own son who battled neurological disease that took his life at 19 years old. We had to carry Mitchell around a lot. And honestly, as someone who values self-reliance, this was an important lesson for me. 
I had to learn that not everybody can take care of themselves. Not everybody can pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Some people just can't move. They need to be carried. Now, of course, what's inspiring about our son, if you remember him, Mitchell, is that he tried to be self-reliant. He hated being dependent. It was hard, but he didn't like relying on others either. Where'd he get that, right? He wanted to push his wheelchair himself. He wanted to remember to take his medicine himself. He wanted to learn how to drive himself. He was frustrated, but he couldn't, but he tried. Honestly, honestly, it's one of the reasons why I'm not always that sympathetic with people who don't do important things because they're sick. My paralyzed son rarely missed a day of church. Not because he was a pastor's kid, not because we dragged him here, but because he wanted to be here and would insist that someone come take him. If my paralyzed son can come to church, if my son can come to church when he's paralyzed, you can get your butt here when you're sleepy. I mean, forgive me. But if my son can come to church when he's paralyzed, you can get your butt here when you're sleepy. Now, here, I'm preaching to the choir. I mean, here you are. <laughs> but you'll remember that. You'll remember that. The next Sunday, you get up and, eh, I'm sleepy. Okay, you're sleepy. My point is, there are sick people who just cannot care for themselves. They might have physical limitations. They might have mental limitations. Mental illness is real. We need wheelchairs for our bodies. We need medicine for our brain. But we also just need each other. Sometimes we just need to be carried to Jesus. And we need to make sure that we have friends and family who can do that. we got to live life in a family. We should carry one of those burdens of sin, of sickness, and relatedly, we should carry one of those burdens of suffering. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Now, I distinguished between sickness and suffering in my outline because they are separate points. I mean, sickness doesn't always last forever. Sickness sometimes becomes healing. Sickness sometimes becomes grief. Sickness sometimes becomes suffering. We are no longer carrying sick people. We are carrying the people who cared for the sick people. We do this because in a church family, when one part suffers, every part suffers. Now remember that Paul is here talking about the church as a human body. This is his favorite metaphor for the church, the body of Christ. We are all connected in this body. Now I think Paul, the author, is more right here than he might even know he is. Uh, maybe you're familiar with this idea, for example, of referred pain. So referred pain is when one unrelated part of your body experiences pain far away from the actual source of the pain. The body does this because of a highly sensitive and interconnected nervous system. Sometimes my left hand gets sore, for example, when I'm having stomach pain. I believe that brain freeze is even a form of referred pain. Or sometimes, this is actually kind of interesting, sometimes people actually have dental pain when they're having a heart attack just because of the way the nervous system is wired. 
This is Paul's point. When one part suffers, lots of parts suffer. Every part suffers. Our instinct to go help these people then is partly self-interest. We know that our body is hurting and we got to go help the hurting part because it's part of our body. The teeth know that if the teeth lose the heart, the teeth aren't going to teeth very well much longer. I mentioned my son a moment ago, but honestly, honestly, this is one of the reasons why Rooftop got so mobilized when Mitchell passed away. Why? Because I'm the head. Every part of the body hurts when the head hurts. Our family was surrounded by love and compassion. We had people carrying us through with, with meals and gifts and prayers and notes and support. Honestly, it was one of the perks of being a pastor. Lots of support. I remember talking about this with, with Paul Mueller, though, one of my friends and elders here. And I remember telling him, I just felt so self-conscious about all the help. Like, you know, I've confessed. I'm a pretty self-reliant guy. And here my family is literally being carried along on the backs of congregants. Not only was it humbling, but I, I just frankly, didn't want to use up the church's energies. I told Paul this, you know, there, there's other people in our church who need help besides me. And I'll never forget what Paul told me. He said, well, then we'll help them. But right now we're helping you deal with it. Paul Mueller, deal with it. We've been helped. Thank you. As have other people been helped here over the years. Frankly, suffering together is one of the things that has made Rooftop a church family. But there will be others. There currently are others. Let's help them too. Sign up for the Feed My Sheep ministry. Make a meal. Stay connected to the people in your small group. Help them whenever you can. Read over the prayer requests weekly. Subscribe to the prayer request list. Read over those. Pray for those people. Reach out to them. I will say, before we move on to point number four, <clears throat> that it's, it's a lot easier to get help from a church family when you're part of one. Suffering people come into church all the time for help on Sunday morning, sometimes just during the week, and we really want to help them. We really do. But nobody knows who they are. You're just more likely to get the help you need through the trials of life after you've been around for a while and built a network of connections. Pastor Jeremy's going to talk about this next week when he talks about being devoted to one another. So I'll just kind of leave that for him, just setting the ball on the tee for him. So there it is. We should carry one of those burdens of sin, of sickness, of suffering. And lastly, we should carry one of those burdens of service. Sin, sickness, suffering, and service. What I mean here is that God gives us things that are too big to do on our own. These are important tasks. He gives them to us to do for the purpose of drawing us together. He gives us things to do which require us to figure out how to be a team. In the book of Genesis, God gave Adam the job of caring for the garden and then realized the job was too big. It is not good for the human to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. 
when God instructed Moses to go deliver the Israelites, he, albeit reluctantly, gave him a partner. What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? He can help you. When God told Ezra to rebuild the temple, he did not ask the priest to do this on his own. Any of your people among you may go up to Jerusalem and build the temple of the Lord with you. When the Lord told Nehemiah to rebuild the walls, he knew it was going to be a group project. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be a disgrace. And when the Holy Spirit sent Paul out to preach the gospel throughout the Roman Empire, he gave him helpers, Timothy, Titus, Silas, Barnabas, John Mark, Luke, Phoebe, Priscilla, Aquila, and many, 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 many others. Yes, God gives us small things to do. Love your spouse, teach your children, serve your neighbor. But God also gives us big things to do, big acts of service that require all of us. Preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. Take the city, house the homeless, feed the hungry, build a church, build another one, build another one. We can't do these things on our own, but that's the point. We've got to share these burdens. I just finished uh, reading Lord of the Rings. I, I started it 25 years ago. <laughs> uh, but back then, I actually, I read it really fast because I wanted to finish it before the movies came out. Uh, I always knew I wanted to come back and read it more slowly. So I started last fall to read it more slowly. It did take me six months, not 25 years. But uh, after reading it slowly, I really appreciate the story so much more now. I mean, you get to know the characters as they were intended. I'd always heard from Tolkien nerds uh, that in the book, while Aragorn and Gandalf and Frodo are the heroes of the story, the real hero of the story is someone else. And by real hero, I don't mean anybody who's like crowned king or honored by elves and men or anything. I mean the character who just comes off the most heroically. Maybe you know who it is. Who is it? It's Sam. Samwise Gamgee. Frodo's companion. He single-handedly fights off Shiloh. He defends his master from the connivings of Gollum. He leads Frodo through the desert of Mordor. But maybe you remember Sam's most heroic moment. At the end of this long journey, Frodo exhausted from his burden, the ring of power. He's been carrying around his neck for a year. It has sucked the life out of him. He cannot make it any further up the side of Mount Doom in order to destroy the ring, but he cannot let Sam carry it. It's not his burden to carry. Frodo was a self-reliant guy. I like Frodo. What's a friend to do, though? Sam can't carry the ring, so what does he do? You know, he carries Frodo. Come, Mr. Frodo, cried. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Even the most heroic figures need help from ordinary hobbits to become heroes. The burden God or life or elves places on us can be too much. We need each other. Even Jesus at the end of his life needed an ordinary hobbit to help carry his cross. Honestly, honestly, the thought unsettles us, right? The thought unsettles us that Jesus, the source of all strength, would need help. What? Jesus, the source of all power, would need help carrying his cross? But this is what's crazy about Christianity. Jesus was a hobbit too. God had given him something very big to do and he was a hobbit too and he needed help. And here's the thing, he still does. Jesus still needs help. Now nobody email me this week, Jesus doesn't need anything. 
Jesus needed help carrying his cross. God gave it to him. God gave him help. God gave him a man from Africa named Simon. God plucked him out of the crowd, and Jesus needs help building his church. We're it. We've been conscripted. We were standing there in the parade, just watching it go by. And the Roman soldiers, God looked at us and said, you're it. You've been called. Pick up the cross. Jesus needs you to pick up the cross. We've been included. We've been called to carry the cross of Christ. And you know how we do that? By carrying each other. That's how we carry a cross, by carrying each other. This brings us to communion. On the third Sunday of every month, here at Rooftop, we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. In our understanding, communion, it's a symbolic reenactment of who we are as God's people. We're not just random strangers collected in the same room. We are eternal brothers and sisters, God's adopted children, his family gathered around the dinner table feasting on God's love and grace. And we are this because of what the one and only Son of God has done on our behalf. Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And he was raised from the dead and left behind the Holy Spirit so that we could know the hope and the promise of new life. When we take communion, we are reminded of this. The cup reminds us of Christ's blood shed for us and the bread reminds us of the body of Christ broken for us and we are also reminded that the work continues. The work of dying and the work of carrying one another's burdens continues 